Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of September 2nd, 2018. The podcast that roller skates in a buffalo herd. This is your host, Shane Killian, and please welcome back after a long absence, Jonathan Loche. Great to be back, Shane. It's been too long. So what you been doing with yourself, John? Uh, let's see here. I moved. That's a melanoma surgery. Got a new job. It's been an interesting year so for me. But everything's good now. They got all the melanoma. Yep, it's all good. Uh, got a clean bill of health, so can't ask for much more. Glad to hear it. So before we begin, an important announcement. A lot of you might have noticed that you didn't get the usual promo before this podcast started, and you won't get them between stories either. That's because this podcast has entered into a partnership with the Mr. Dapperton YouTube channel, and we'll be mirrored over there from now on, so hopefully this is a start of a great partnership, and thanks to Mr. Dapperton for doing this. Regular listeners, don't worry, nothing for you is going to change. You can still get the podcast on the RSS feed or however you've been listening. Patrons will still get it early and with high-quality audio. For all of the new people listening on Dapperton's channel, I just want to let you know what we're all about. This is a skeptical podcast covering news and current events. But unlike most skeptical podcasts, we do not turn off our skepticism when we start covering political stories. In fact, if anything, we tend to shift it into overdrive. A.K.A. we're a bunch of crazy libertarians here. (laughs) Yeah, but I've always felt this way. I mean, if you educate yourself to learn that astrology is bogus, all you have to do is not give your money to an astrologer. Problem solved. You can't do that with government. I mean, if you're convinced that the foreign wars are bogus or the war on drugs causes more harm than good or whatever, you don't simply have the option of not paying for it or not complying with, you know, whatever insane regulation they're trying to foist on you. If you try it, you know, they come and lock you up. Pretty much. So if anything, we try and cover more of the political stories from the point of view that other skeptical podcasts just don't seem to want to give you. So with that in mind, let's de-energize the news of the bogus. Longtime listeners will remember when we covered the fact that squirrels and other animals represented a much bigger threat to the power grid than terrorists, but it's still uncomfortable to think of how this horribly inefficient power grid the government has foisted on us is prone to cascading failures when there's a large blackout. As we covered... If you attack just nine substations at the same time, you could black out the entire continental U.S. for up to 18 months. So I'm very disturbed by this story that rogue hackers could potentially take down power grids because of something else we've talked a lot about, insecure IoT devices. Mm Mm-hmm. As pretty much everything becomes connected to the Internet these days, and a lot of it, quite frankly, is, well, half-assed. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly shocked by this. Well, and we're not even talking about devices installed in power facilities that could let attackers in. We're talking about just things in people's home, but large appliances like uh, Internet-enabled clothes dryers or air conditioners, high-wattage stuff. Mm-hmm. Hackers could trigger sudden demand spikes. I mean, if everyone were to turn on their clothes dryer at the same moment, the power grid couldn't handle it. Normally, it's not a problem since people are acting, you know, kind of randomly and they don't really turn it on exactly at the same time. I mean, it would be a huge coincidence if that happened. But as we've seen from the Mirai botnet, compromising thousands of devices is not out of the realm of possibility. And a hacker, once all those are compromised, could deliberately tell all of them to start up at the same time, overloading the grid and causing a blackout. I I, I recently, me and my girlfriend went to go get... uh shopping for a new washer and dryer 
I deliberately put my foot down on the idea of getting one with smart features. <laughs> well, as long as it doesn't connect to the Wi-Fi or anything like that, it's fine. I yeah. mean, if it's just a, a, an isolated, embedded system, then it should be fine. I, I think at this point, at some point in the next 10, 20 years, practically anything that is electric-powered in our homes is probably going to be connected to the Internet in some way, shape, or form. And as you're getting to a point where it is insanely easy, like you said, for people to come in and hack this stuff, I could definitely see a group that was dedicated enough pulling this off to a degree that could, say, take down a large city. Yeah, and you also have that problem of cascading failures where you have a sudden increase and just 1% in power demand could result in blackouts rolling for 80% of customers in an area. And it could also interfere with efforts to restore power because what power companies do is they take it back on just one bit at a time because they don't know what the power demand will going to be when they bring each area back on. Like if it's in the summer, of course, all the air conditioners are going to start up at once because the houses are warmer inside. I mean, I live in Florida, and uh, prior to when they finally replaced the uh, transformer in my neighborhood because it got destroyed during Hurricane Irma, probably there was brownouts at least once or twice a week because of that issue. Yeah, and a coordinated attack could have it where they just keep doing power spikes in each area so they bring an area up and then they trip it off again. Mm-hmm. So remember, everyone, the SNIOT stands for security. These devices are not secure, and the ramifications are coming more and more dire as time goes on. Cause just to give you an idea, too, really, about how easy it is to trigger a power spike, but especially an older grid, my neighbor put in one of those instant water heaters that's electric, and literally the power company made him uninstall it because when it kicks on, it drew so much power, it was causing brownouts for the entire grid in the neighborhood. Yeesh. Just a hot water heater? One of those instant ones. You know, that's the tankless not, ones? The tankless ones. Yeah. I've been wanting to get me one of those. Well, if you do, hope you have gas for your house. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's all electric here, and our grid isn't great. Yeah. Because when you put it in, I think it took three... 40-volt panels in his uh, breaker box. So, just give you an idea how much juice that thing needs. At least it's not internet-enabled. Yet. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, that's the problem. It wouldn't be so bad if they would put security into the design, but a lot of them aren't doing security at all. A lot of the rest of them are just kind of like tacking it on as an afterthought, mm-hmm. which means that as long as you get around that, then you pretty much have you know full control over the device. Hey, at least we can play Minecraft on your Samsung refrigerator. Hey, what more could be better? Mm-hmm. All right, a bit of good news. Hungary is getting rid of its gender studies program because it says they're based on ideology, not science, and there's just no demand for any of those skills in the Hungarian market. Um, I'll take the sky is blue for a hundred. <laughs> Hungary's Secretary of State of the Ministry of Human Resources said that these courses are just like Marxist-Leninism, a completely inappropriate matter for university-level education with no economic rationale behind it. This has been something we've talked about for years on this podcast. It's This is the sort of stereotypical degree that people talk about of going $100,000 in debt and having nothing to show for it. Yeah, you might as well get a degree in basket weaving. 
Mm-hmm. And Although I guess you could always sell baskets if you have basket weaving, so that would be better, actually. <laughs> this is true, yeah. At least you're learning a trade skill. This, you're basically learning a lot of talking points and how to save and solve somebody else's fault. There are really two universities affected by this, as they're the only one with gender studies courses, ELTE in Budapest and the George Soros-owned Central European University. This year, there were only 11 applicants admitted into the program at ELTE and two at CEU. Yet, according to the minister of these programs, quote, take away valuable resources from other programs, deteriorating the economic stability of universities. The purpose of these institutions of higher education is to meet genuine social and labor market needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key word there, genuine. Yeah. Well, at least Hungary seems to realize there's a difference between education and ideological indoctrination. Now, if only other countries would do the same. Exactly. Another subject we've covered quite a bit is the militarization of police. We've covered the dangers to innocent people caused by overzealous police using SWAT teams when they're just not appropriate to use, but at least these SWAT teams protect us from dangerous criminals, right? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. Not according to a research paper from Professor Jonathan Mamolo and published by the National Academy of Sciences, he was able to use a public records request to take advantage of a Maryland state law requiring documentation of every SWAT raid performed. That law has since expired. Apparently, legislators felt it left the police too accountable. That That's kind of scary when you think about it. The literal justification that it was too much accountability. Yeah, why would we want detailed records of everything the police do? Mamolo found, quote, Roughly 90% of SWAT deployments in that state over five fiscal years were conducted to serve search warrants. Previous work has shown that the use of SWAT teams to serve warrants, a practice which escalated as a result of the war on drugs, is an extremely disruptive event in the lives of citizens. While the data suggests that indiscriminate violence is less common than some anecdotal reports suggest, they also show that the vast majority of SWAT deployments occur in connection with non-emergency scenarios predominantly to serve search warrants. And I mean, I'd be interested to see how many of the how they categorize things like the swatting. Are those categorized as emergencies? Because they, you know, if you're not familiar with the term swatting, the, that's where it becomes this thing where trolls will call the police and uh, say that somebody, basically give them the address of somebody who's live streaming a game or something on Twitch or another service, and then the cops will break into their house and arrest them live on camera. Yeah, because you tell them they've kidnapped a child or something like that. Right, exactly. Well, and we've also talked about drug raids, you know, when they get the address wrong and raid the wrong house. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it turns out it doesn't even seem to keep the officers themselves any safer. Right. The data show negligible effects on officer injuries or deaths. Mamolo's bottom line is, quote, There is no evidence that acquiring a SWAT team lowers crime or promotes officer safety. Right. I mean, yeah, you're basically charging in with uh, upwards of a dozen armed, body-armored people into someone's home. You know, it's going to cause a major situation, and that's usually what leads to these unfortunate situations where people do fire on police, and police fire back, and someone gets killed. Usually civilians, unfortunately. It doesn't do anyone any good. In fact, he found, quote, 
The routine use of militarized police tactics by local agencies threatens to increase the historic tensions between marginalized groups and the state with no detectable public safety benefit. While SWAT teams arguably remain a necessary tool for violent emergency situations, restricting their use to those rare events may improve perceptions of police with little or no safety loss. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I know as far as you talked about, you know, the, these SWAT situations are almost predominant are disproportionately used within the African-American community. Yeah. God knows over the years we've covered so many times where black men have been shot down in the street like dogs by the police, and then we wonder why we have situations like uh, NFL players not standing for the national anthem. Yeah. And the thing is, we have crime dropping to historic lows. I mean, real crime like violent crime. And so there might not be enough of those rare events to warrant the expense and upkeep of SWAT teams in the first place, which, as we've talked about before, is why they're using them inappropriately. You know, they're an excuse to treat ordinary citizens like potential enemy combatants and needlessly escalate a peaceful situation to the point where it justifies a kind of very overblown response. Absolutely. Now it's time to re-engirdle this week's biggest bogoning matter. And this week it goes to veggie giant Tofurky, who is suing the state of Missouri because they want to call their meatless products meat. You know, there's something about false advertising there that I'm thinking about. <laughs> well, and isn't the idea that they're targeting vegetarians who don't want to eat meat? I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen all those... Uh, I see them in the freezer. They they market them as chicken patties, but really they're made out of vegetable and turkey and stuff. I, I've seen those in those for years, but I guess they don't actually call them meat. I've never really looked on the box. Well, in June, the governor of Missouri signed into law a bill that says in part, quote, This act also prohibits misrepresenting a product as meat that is not derived from harvested production livestock or poultry. So, no claiming your veggie burgers are a real hamburger or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just truth in advertising. Tofurky and other members of a pro-veggie coalition are laughably calling this an attempt to quash competition. Apparently, they want the right to label their non-sausage product as sausage. I mean, when even the meat producers, um, the, the chicken wings aren't really chicken wings, so legally they have to spell them with, like, W-Y-N-G-Z. You know, I mean, even the big meat producers have to abide by some of these rules. The bill was introduced by State Senator Sandy Crawford, who said, quote, We wanted to protect our cattlemen in Missouri and protect our beef brand. So, Tofurky, no labeling your veggie burgers as beef? Why would they have such a problem with this unless they really were hoping to deceive customers? That, to me, thinks that they're just trying to expand their audience through some deceptive practices, because, like you said, I would figure their primary audience are vegans and vegetarians who don't want to eat meat in the first place. And Brickbats at Motherboard for credulously supporting Tofurky's insane lefty conspiracy theory that this is all about the meat industry trying to limit competition, citing, quote, the meat industry's desperation to squash it any way they can. But how is it limiting competition when these companies don't produce any actual meat products? I don't know. And one thing you'll notice about this Motherboard article, they didn't cite the portion of Crawford's comments where she said, quote, 
You can't misrepresent products that don't meet the definition of meat that is already in the statute. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to sell your product, you can't go pretending it's something other than what it is. If you do, it's fraud, plain and simple. Yeah, and I mean, and this is an issue where wanting to sell uh, non-pasteurized milk or other food-related issues that was just basically through regulatory oversight. This is this has really nothing to do with that. This is just quite frankly fraud in advertising. You can't advertise something as meat when there is no animal product in it. So all of that makes Tofurky this week's biggest bogani emitter. And now let's run through the rinse cycle this week's idiot extraordinary. And this week it goes to the new Hanover County Sheriff's Office Gang Task Force for what they claimed was one of the biggest drug busts in North Carolina history, seizing 13 pounds of what was supposedly fentanyl that ended up being, get this, flour and sugar. Well, somebody's got to make the donuts somehow. <laughs> I guess you can bake with it, just not in the same way. Mm-hmm. The baking products belonged to arrest victim Charles Batts, who said, quote, if you can't tell flour from a drug, something ain't right. They're both white chain. I mean, close enough. Hey, it's white powder. It must be illegal. The 13 pounds of baking goods would have been worth more than $2 million if it had been fentanyl, but in reality, it was stuff you could get for $8 at the supermarket. NMS Labs confirmed that there was no fentanyl or any other controlled or non-controlled substance mixed in with it. I mean, this is just... We've covered plenty of dumb police busts over the years, but this is an all-timer right here. But I looked at several stories on this. I was unable to find out why they raided his home in the first place, but they had initially sent the flower to the CSI lab, where multiple field tests positively indicated the power was fentanyl. And I can't find anywhere that says why, but there was something that made Sheriff Ed McMahon skeptical, so he requested a rush analysis from the state and they obtained test results from private lab NMS, which showed that the powder was not fentanyl, but just carbohydrates like sugar and flour. So another example of police forensics basically being shown using bogus science. According to a report from WECT, the drug kits used by police are from Scott Company Drug Testing, which only sells to law enforcement, and NMS confirmed that this was a problem with the drug kits themselves, not misuse of them by law enforcement. According to McMahon, quote, With the fentanyl, this is the recommended test that we're using. Anybody that's doing a presumptive or field test, this is the kit that, as far as we know, everybody's using. And the company maintains that their kit is accurate. Just not with sugar or, pa- or baking goods. Just a few false positives here and there. Can't make an omelet, you know. McMahon said in a news release, quote, I am currently evaluating our testing of fentanyl. Until this is completed, we will be sending all suspected fentanyl to a lab before charging. Additionally, I have ordered that all pending fentanyl cases be sent to a lab for conclusive testing. I have also spoken with our DA's office in reference to the individuals charged in this case. We are not going to do any more fentanyl testing. We are going to send it to a lab forensic test with all of the technology before we charge anyone else. Well, kudos to a sheriff for accepting reality. Yeah, I mean, he's not trying to bust innocent people here. He's just kind of 
mm-hmm. caught flat-footed by the fact that these tests aren't always what they say they are. Exactly. Charges of drug possession and trafficking against Charles Batts, as well as two others, Wanda Moore and William McIntyre, have been dropped. They remain in jail on other drug-related charges, but I wasn't able to find out exactly what they were. But if it's based on this raid, I don't see how it can be anything other than fruits of a poisonous tree. Yeah. And that's another thing we've covered here plenty of times over the years, is just the police forensics. I mean, it, it there is so much pseudoscience and lies in that field. It's astonishing. Yeah, and I mean, you have to consider the incentives. I mean, if there's one that's prone to false positives and they can make more arrests, I mean, they don't want to charge innocent people, but if they're convinced that they're not innocent, they'll be saying, hey, look, we're getting all these other dangerous people off the street. So that's actually the one they're incentivized to use. Mm-hmm, exactly. But if you can mistake flour for fentanyl, then regardless of anything else, you just have to be this week's Idiot Extraordinaire! Well, that wraps up this Three Stop Signs, Two Police Officers, and One Police Car edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv or discord.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate to ShandyK on PayPal, or if you want to use crypto, you can donate at altcoins.bogosity.tv. You can also support ShandyK on Patreon to get the podcast and my YouTube videos early and ad-free. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Jonathan Loche for joining me. Uh, great to be back, Shane. Until next time, here's a quote from L. Neal Smith. In declaring war on drugs, America declared war on itself. Not because recreational drugs are an especially valued or indispensable part of our national culture, they're not, but because you can't declare war on any Ninth Amendment right without declaring war on all of them, and along with them, on every other individual right under the first ten amendments to the Constitution. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Liberty's 4.0 International License. Gossip team.